0: God has a heart for the nations. To see all people, 1 Timothy 2.4, come to a saving knowledge of the truth. Man's relationship with God in the beginning was one. Perfect unity. Perfect harmony. But when Adam sinned in the garden, there was then Separation. What once was one has now been divided. Sin broke our relationship with God. The good news of the gospel is that God sent a second Adam, one who never sinned, one who was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin, and through his death has made a way for us to come back to God and have peace with God to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is what God has offered to us in the gospel. This is the good news of what God has done through his son as he is bringing us back to himself. And this beautiful, precious gospel that you have heard and have believed has come through the local church You see, the local church is God's vehicle for getting the gospel to those who have never heard. I shared last week with our church about something that God has put on my heart for Westwood. Lift is a vision for the future of Westwood. This is not a new program, but rather this is a direction of where we are looking to reach people with the gospel. Moving forward, Westwood will lift our eyes upward and outward to reach the nations and our neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are going to lift our eyes to the Lord and to the harvest. We're going to lift our eyes upward. Psalm 121 verse 1 says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We as a church must continually keep our eyes upward upon the Lord. That apart from him, we can do nothing. That we are a people must fix our eyes upon Jesus, Hebrews 12, the author and perfecter of our faith. We are a people who are going to lift our eyes unto him. But we are also a people who are going to lift our eyes outwards. That we're a people who are going to be lifting our eyes to the nations and to our neighbors. Last week, we unpacked lift of what we see with Jesus in his encounter with, his, with the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus told his disciples, Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are ready for harvest. As the disciples gather around the water well at Sychar with Jesus, And they're thinking about lunch. He tells them, guys, this is not about lunch. I want you to lift your eyes to the harvest. What is Jesus referencing? The city of Sychar, Samaritans, these people who do not know God, but are about to. And Jesus is saying, guys, this is the priority of the Father. It's about people. It's about people coming into a right relationship with God. And this is what we are going to be about as a church. We are going to lift our eyes upward, and we are going to lift our eyes outward. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, it's through three strategies. The first strategy is lift local. We are going to mobilize Westwood members to serve local communities through compassion ministries. There are people who are hurting right here in our community. There are people who are in desperate need of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has planted Westwood here for such a time as this to reach our neighbors with the gospel. Therefore, through Compassion Ministries, we're going to be caring for people right here. What we have seen through the pandemic, through inflation, and through migration, there are people who are hurting here who are your neighbors, people who need the hope and the help of the gospel. Therefore, we're going to be looking to establish compassion ministries like food distribution, counseling ministries, English as a second language, Spanish as a second language, addiction recovery, and many other ministries in which we can care for people right here in Shelby County. We are going to be a light to a people who are in desperate need of hope. The second thing we're going to do is lift global. We are going to train and send Westwood members to the nations with the gospel. We're going to create a culture by God's grace of mission and evangelism amongst our church. How are we going to do that? We're going to train every Westwood member in evangelism. I want you to have confidence that when you have a coworker, a neighbor, a teammate in which you want to share the gospel with them, you can do it. You can do it with confidence and with clarity that you can share the hope of the gospel. We're going to be training every Westwood member. Secondly, we're going to commission every Westwood member as a missionary. You have to see yourself in this world as a missionary. We are not home yet. We are elect exiles, 1 Peter 1. We are a people who are just passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven with Christ. Therefore, we're not setting up camp here. We know that we are sojourners on our way to Zion. We are a people who are anticipating a new kingdom. So while we are here, we are missionaries, all of us. And God has put you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, on your ball team, in your school to impact your world for Jesus. God has planted you there as a missionary to point people to Jesus And by 2027, we're going to be sending 100 people every year on international mission trips. That we're going to be about going and taking the gospel to those who have never heard. I thought this was pretty amazing. Did you know that right now, currently, that we have Westwood members who are on short-term mission trips in this week, as of this moment, in Belize, Tanzania, East Swatini, and El Salvador, and Sri Lanka. And what are they doing? They're preaching Jesus. They're investing in indigenous leaders. They're pointing people to the gospel. Oh, that this would just be the beginning of what God is doing, of raising up people who are going to the nations and making Christ known where he is not known yet. We have the greatest news. And the world needs to hear it. So we're going to lift local. We're going to lift global. And we are going to lift churches. By God's grace, we're going to establish healthy gospel-centered churches in every community in Shelby County. The church is God's vehicle for getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. And when churches are healthy, God's people thrive. God's people flourish when churches are healthy. And healthy churches reach more people with the gospel. A healthy church is a lighthouse in a community reaching people and caring for them well and pointing them to Jesus. Well, we, Westwood, we're going to be about seeing healthy, gospel-centered churches established in every community in Shelby County. How are we going to do this? We're going to be launching home groups throughout various communities over the next five years. We're going to plant two Hispanic churches In the next five years, Lord willing, the first Sunday of August of this year, we're planting Westwood and Espanol, our very first Hispanic church plant. That is just the beginning, Lord willing, of us planting more churches of reaching Hispanics with the gospel. We're going to establish five healthy gospel-centered churches that are English-speaking in various communities throughout Shelby County, whether it's through church planting, through church multi-site, or through church adoptions, where we come alongside churches that are not doing well. May God, by his grace, use us to help churches. And here's the thing. Can I just tell you a quick story? I've been dreaming of this for years. When the pandemic hit, I thought, no, we can't do this. We need to wait. We only know what the future holds. So as I've been praying and preparing, several months ago, I started writing all of this down. And I started thinking, okay, yeah, we're we're, going to do this. We're going to see healthy churches established all throughout Shelby County. And I thought, how in the world are we going to do that? And then I wrote down that we are going to become a church that is going to have a training center for pastors and church leaders, that we're developing pastors and church leaders right here. And as I wrote it, I thought, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? This is crazy. How? But I wrote it down. And I said, okay, Lord, if this is what you're doing, we'll say yes. Three weeks ago, I was contacted by the North American Mission Board in which they said, we've heard about your Hispanic planting of a church in Alabama. And so we would like to start a residency program at Westwood training pastors. Are you interested? On Thursday of this past week, their church planting resident uh, who oversees the whole program flew from Oklahoma to here to meet with us. And he met with Pipe and Rick Swing and myself and Mike West. And we started just talking through this residency program. And he laid out for us the game plan of how we as a church can establish a training program for pastors here at Westwood. I leave that meeting. I get a text message from a leader in the Shelby Baptist Association and says, hey, Kenneth, would Westwood be interested in helping churches revitalize, which is a term meaning, is Westwood willing to help churches in Shelby County get healthy? (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, the whole thing is rigged. (laughs) And God is growing my faith and if, if will you please trust me i'll get it one day lord but when you step out in faith and you trust jesus watch him move I, y'all i've been hesitant to want to bring lift to you Come I be honest i'm just nervous like what if our church doesn't like this what's it going to cost and there's all kinds of doubts and fears that you have as a leader But as I've just been thinking and praying, like, okay, Lord, if this is what you're you're leading us to do, I have no idea how we're going to do this. But Lord, my yes is on the table. And I still stand here with great fear. Like, I don't know what this is going to look like. Can we really get to a point where we're sending 100 people on international mission trips every year in five years? Are we going to see healthy churches established through our church? Yeah. God is able. And if we would put our yes on the table, if you as a believer individually would say, God, here's my life. I want to say yes to whatever you have for me. Lord, I'm here for you. Whatever that looks like, my yes is on the table. Watch him move. He loves to grow your faith. He loves to, dis- to display his glory by showing himself faithful in your life over and over and over again. He's glorified by you saying yes, and then showing himself as the only one who can work out all the details. But there's a challenge that we currently face. And it's the same challenge that churches throughout the 2,000 years have faced. What's the challenge? There's not enough workers for all of the work that has to take place. This is a challenge that we face, and this is a challenge that Jesus faced in his earthly ministry. And that is what we see in Luke chapter 10. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 10. If you're new to reading your Bible, you can turn to the table of contents in the front of your Bible. It's broken up into two sections. There's the Old Testament, and then there's the New Testament. The New Testament starts with the first four Gospels. These four Gospels tell the story of the life and ministry of Jesus from His birth, life, death, and resurrection. We're going to be in Luke, which is the third Gospel right there, and that's where we're going to be setting up camp. You go to Luke and then go to the big number 10. The number 10 is our chapter reference, and that's where we're going to be studying this morning. It's interesting, if you study the the, the life and ministry of Luke, we learn from Paul in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, that Luke is a physician. He's a doctor. And so in his gospel account, he gives meticulous details, like a good doctor would do, that Matthew, Mark, and John do not. He also gives an orderly account. He lays out the life and ministry of Jesus in the order, the time sequence in which it happens. Now, that's different from Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is ordered by geography, right? Chapters 1 through 8 of Mark are about the, his, Jesus' ministry in the northern part of Israel. And then uh, chapters uh, 9 through 16 take place in the southern part. It's based upon geography. Luke lays it out in order in which it happened. And he writes this to a guy whose name is Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? We don't know a whole lot about this guy. We know that Luke begins his gospel and the book of Acts by addressing these two books. We're looking at Luke, volume one, Acts, volume two, to a got named Theophilus. In Luke chapter one, verses one through four, he calls him most excellent Theophilus. Probably that's a phrase, a title, because possibly this guy financially undergirded Luke's work and research of getting all the information, investigating, um, speaking with eyewitnesses, getting all the information. And then he says, I write these things to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know. There's this, this confidence. There's this orderly account that Luke gives to us. And in Luke chapter 10, we see where Jesus is on the brink of sending the 72 disciples out before him. They are about to go out into the field. He is about to send them out and he gives them instruction. And that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. And the scripture says this After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The question that I would like for us to answer this morning from the text is how can Westwood impact our world for Jesus. Well, we must understand these three realities. Reality one, many are ready for the gospel. Many are ready for the gospel. Jesus tells the 72 verse two, the harvest is abundant. There are lots of people who are loved by God, people whom God is ready and eager to save and to rescue and to forgive, to bring into a right relationship with himself through the gospel of Christ. Jesus was preparing the 72 for what they were about to go and face as they go from city to city throughout the region, preparing the way for Jesus to come behind them in which he would come in and perform the miracles and he would preach the messages and people would believe upon him. And he's preparing them because there's an overwhelming amount of work to be done. It's overwhelming. The harvest is abundant, meaning there are many people who are in need of hearing the good news of what Jesus came to do. 17th century African missionary and Bible translator Robert Moffat once wrote this, I have sometimes seen in the morning sun... The smoke of a thousand villages where no one has ever heard the name of Christ. And the same, y'all, is still true today. There are billions of people who have never heard of Jesus. There are people who don't know a single Christian, they don't have a local church. There's no one that they know who can share with them the gospel. This is why one of the reasons I'm so grateful that we as a church intentionally send our dollars to the nations with agencies and organizations that are reaching unreached peoples with the gospel. But the reality is this. There are many who are ready for the gospel. Then There is a huge need for getting the name of Jesus to those who have never heard. And the need is overwhelming. And Jesus is making it clear to the 72, the harvest is abundant. It's large. It's, there's, there's people. It's a huge need, which leads to reality too. Few are doing the work. Jesus says, verse 2, but the workers are few. Even with the 70 plus people that we have here, plus the 12 disciples, plus many more, Jesus was setting expectations that there was more work than workers. The workers of the harvest are God's people going to the nations and their neighbors with the gospel. And this is true laborers are people who just love Jesus and they love people. And they want to see all people come to know Jesus personally. That's evangelism, by the way. It's being able to tell people, Jesus has changed everything about me, and here's what he's come to do, and he's done it for you through his death and resurrection. Believe upon him. Leave your life of sin. Leave your life of pride. Leave your life of selfishness. And run to Jesus, and he will receive you. He will not shame you. He will not reject you. He will never stiff-arm you. You come to Jesus, and he will receive you. Look it, I'm a broken sinner, I've messed up, I've made so many bad decisions, my past is shameful. Oh, the death of Jesus is greater than your past. And though your sins are many, his mercy is more. His death on the cross was sufficient to pay for every single one of your sins and my sins and the sins of the world of all who trust in him. Oh, that you would run to Jesus and he will receive you. And yet there is a need of workers who will go and take this message to those who have never heard. And for 2,000 years, the church has been multiplying and going to the four corners of the earth. And yet there are still billions of people who have never heard of Jesus. Why? Verse 2. The workers are few. Well, so there's work to be done. We have a gospel to share, a field to harvest, people to reach. And hear me on this. We're not out to compete against other churches. The harvest are people who are far from God. There are people who don't know Jesus. That's the harvest. It's people whom God loves, people whom God came and gave his life for. This morning, a guy walked into our 815 service and looked rough, smelled rough. And, man, we, we loved him well. I said, hey, man. I introduced myself to him. I was so proud of our 815. They, they loved him well. It's his first time going to church ever. And I said, man, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. You belong here. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you so much. He shared with me how his wife died 10 weeks ago. And he says, I'm empty inside and I have nothing. And I loved him. David Peacock loved him. We said, man, we're, I'm so sorry you're having to walk through this. But man, we're here to walk with you. Y'all, that's what it's about. It's the harvest. It's people who don't look like you, don't smell like you, maybe vote differently than you people in Christ died for. That's who Jesus was going after in John 4, the woman at the well. Samaritans were outcasts. and We saw last week he has a heart for reaching people who are far from him. The reality is the workers are few. There's a, a common phrase amongst churches called the 80-20 principle. 80-20 percent of the work is done by 20 percent of the people 80 percent of the giving is done by 20 percent of the people i'm grateful that that number doesn't apply to westwood this week i was running some numbers and i'm like okay that's we're a way, we're a whole lot better than that thank you lord we still need more more workers more laborers More people willing to say yes to Jesus, saying, God, I want you to use my life. Lord, would you help me to get off the bench and get into the game and be a part of what you are doing? In Matthew 24, Jesus lays out what the end of the world is going to look like. He gives a teaching on the end times. He follows it up in Matthew 25 by giving two parables to drive home what he had just taught on, on the end times. One of the parables was the parable of the talents. In this parable, he tells the story of a master who's leaving and going away on a trip. And while he is gone, he calls upon three servants. The first servant, the master gave him five talents. The second servant, he gave him two talents. The third servant, he gave one talent. The master leaves. He's gone for a long time. When he returns, he asks each of the servants what they did with their talents. The first servant told him, Master, I took the five talents and I doubled it. And the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. He goes to the second servant and says, Servant, what have you done? He says, Master, I took the two servants and I doubled it. And the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Press pause on the story. I pastor and preach and lead and pray for you so that you hear those words. I want you to hear on the last day from the lips of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm about to show you how you're gonna hear that. He goes to the third servant and says, what have you done with the one talent? He did nothing, buried it. He then hears divine rebuke from Jesus. And in Matthew twenty-five, twenty-six, Jesus said, His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. The man was lazy. He was not doing the work while his master was away. Beloved, your master is away, but he's returning soon. He's given you talents and gifts. The question I've got for you today is, what are you doing with them? If you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant on the last day, you have to go and work the harvest. You leverage what God has given to you and you use it for the sake of reaching people with the gospel. May you not be accused of laziness on the last day. Oh, I don't want you to hear a divine rebuke from the lips of Jesus. But oh, that you and I would be about the work of our master. The challenge I lay before you today, today as a disciple of Jesus is let's go reach the nations and our neighbors with the gospel. Well, Kenneth, how are we gonna do that? Reality three, pray for more. Workers for the harvest. Luke 10:2, Jesus said, Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus, tell, Jesus tells the 72, Therefore, pray. Pray. Because the harvest is abundant and the workers are few, pray. You see, prayer is the essential work of completing the great commission. And God uses the prayers of His people to advance His mission. It's His harvest. We see it there in verse 2. God hears and works through the prayers of His people. Hear me on this. Prayer is the work and prayer is hard work. I'm not sure about you, but man, prayer is hard work for me. As someone who loves to physically work hard, I love my to-do list. I love to work hard. Sometimes to the neglect of prayer. And Jesus is saying, this is the work. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. Prayer is hard work. It requires discipline and focus and humility. Intentionality, but God invites us to join him in his work in the world, and we join him through prayer. Jesus said, Luke 10 2, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. Jesus said in Luke 10 2, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. Jesus said in Luke 10:2, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. If you've got a cell phone, pull it out for me. I want you to go to your alarms. The alarm that you set to wake you up in the morning. Go there, please. And it's there I want you to go to the alarm, and I'm going to ask you to set a brand new alarm for 10.02 a.m. At 10.02 a.m., I want you to set an alarm that says, Pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. Mine says, Pray Luke 10.2. At 10.02 every morning, let this alarm go off and be a reminder to you to pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. Mine is set for every day except for Sunday. Why? Because I'm preaching. But on Tuesday morning at staff meeting, my phone is sitting on the table and at 10.02, it makes a terrible noise and scares everybody in the room. But it's a reminder, Kenneth, pray Luke 10.2. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, Luke 10.2. At 10.02, and think about this, how awesome that every day at 10.02 a.m. when your alarm goes off, there are thousands of alarms that are going off. And a lot of people are joining you in praying the same thing. God, would you please raise up workers for your harvest? God, would you raise up people who will make Christ known where he is not known Yet, you see, when we pray, God hears, God moves and God responds, and God desires all people to come to a saving knowledge of His Son, and we pray that God raises up more workers. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to? It's your impact point, this: You are sent. You are sent to the harvest with the gospel. I love people who are now learning how to use their phones.) fantastic. <laughs> yes. I love it. You're sent to your ball field, to your neighborhood, your workplace. I spent almost 12 hours yesterday coaching four soccer games. I'm exhausted, by the way. And I looked across this complex and I saw thousands of people. The harvest. People who matter to Jesus. People whom Jesus died for. People whose lives are falling apart if they don't know him. And we've got work to do. Here's the thing. In 1892, John Pemberton was a chemist in Atlanta, Georgia. He was working diligently in his office when he discovered a fresh, brand-new drink that was so good that he wanted the world to have it. And on that day, Coca-Cola was born. And within 150 years, you can buy Coke in 173 countries i've been in the huts of unreached people groups of mexico i've been on the roadsides of china i've been all across the savannas of africa i have been in primary schools of belize holding a coke somehow they found a way to get sugar water to the nations in less than 150 years why? Financial gain. And yet the church has had 2,000 years to try to get the gospel to the four corners of the earth. And the job's not done yet. Why has it not been accomplished? Luke 10 2. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers for his harvest. Would you put your yes on the table today? Would you not only join thousands in praying Luke 10 too, but would you say, God, I'm a worker. Put me to work. With your ball fields, your workplace, your neighborhood, you begin there. Pointing people to Jesus pointing to the hope of the gospel of a crucified and risen king who's eager to save anybody who calls on his name.